Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where you can propel your faith into even deeper levels as we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Geib. Good day, good day, Kingdom Corner Podcast members and devotees. The great Matt Geib here with you once again on a hot, hot, July afternoon, towards the end of July, I think the heat wave has finally found us here in the Pacific Northwest. It's over 90 degrees, but I am excited to be with you once again, sharing once again from the wonderful, joyful, exciting book of of Philippians. And now we're starting chapter four. We're at the stretch run. Uh, We're coming around the bend And the theme of this chapter, the theme of this chapter is Christ our strength. Christ our strength. Christ our life was in chapter 1. Christ our mind, chapter 2. And we finished up with Christ our goal last week, uh, Philippians 3, where Paul was running to obtain the prize as a a picture of a racer, um, is a picture of the Christian walk. And now to finish the race strong, like I said in distance running last episode, you have to be able to finish strong. You have to save yourself. You have to pace yourself for the end of the race so you can kick that, uh, like we said in cross country, kick yourself into a fifth gear and really finish strongly. And that's what we're talking about today in Philippians 4. Philippians 4, 8. Philippians 4, 8 is the emphasis Philippians 4.8 mandates, the title of the lesson. Philippians 4.8 mandates, Philippians 4.1-9. And I want to read that for you. And then, like always, we're going to go back and break it down. This, again, shows Christ our strength. He's our motivator and energizer. Not only is he moving upon us to want to do the right things, but he then makes it possible for us to do them as well. He provides the dynamic that fulfills the desire. He provides the dynamic or the energy that will fulfill the desire. You can't do it in your own flesh. We've talked about that a lot. Chapter 4 provides closing exhortations to the Philippian church. Philippians 4, 1-9, starting at verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and my crown, uh, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore uh, Udiah and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellows workers, whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Verse 5, let your gentleness be made known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, verse 8, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, If there be any virtue, if there be anything praiseworthy, 
meditate on these things. Verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Wow, so many beautiful, beautiful truths here as we open up this chapter. Things I'm sure you've heard read before and you've read yourself, rejoicing, uh, giving things over to prayer and not worrying, and uh, the 4-8 mandate, uh, think on those good things. You've heard that before. We're going to get into all that today. Let's start and go back to verses 1 to 3, which is an exhortation to unity. We've talked a lot about that. We, we really brought that out in chapter 2. And here, as at the end of the book, he's hitting that theme once again. Verse 1, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Therefore, well, we want to see what that, in Scripture, when it says therefore, we always want to see what that's there for. It's connecting us back to the last chapter, verses uh, 20, and tw uh, 20 and 21 of chapter 3. Again, like I've said many times before, there's no chapter breaks in the original manuscripts, so this could all be running together. Saying, because of our citizenship, this is what it's saying, therefore, because of your citizenship, being from heaven, and our anticipation of Christ's return, here are the final exhortations that I, Paul, have on my heart concerning you, members of the church of Philippi. These are my exhortations to you. And verses 1 to 3 is an exhortation of unity. Let's go and look at it a little more deeply. Beloved and longed for brethren, literally divinely loved ones and longed for ones. Beloved is mentioned twice. The connection with longed for brethren in this verse shows, and him saying it twice, shows Paul's passionate love for this church. He had both agape and filio for them. We've talked about this before, that uh, of all the churches, the Philippian church, the church at Philippi probably had the least amount of problems. Um, they gave to him generously, as we've shown in chapter 2, through Ephroditus being sent with a love gift there, um, when he wouldn't receive offerings from a lot of churches. Uh, and they were very dear to his heart. Could have been his most favorite church, you know. Um, they, they, he called them, uh, they were his crown. That was like a victor's wreath in, in the Olympic races. We were talking about the race last week. A victor's wreath, a garland placed upon the head of the victor in an athletic contest. It was also used for military valor and used in festive celebrations of gladness. Here Paul metaphorically calls the saints of Philippi his crown. He has won them over to the gospel. Wow. Revelation 4, 4 to 11, talks about the elders being gathered before the throne of God and casting their crowns to the King of kings and Lord of lords. They're before the throne of Christ, right? And I'm sure Paul was in that. He must have had many crowns. Oh, do we have crowns? Are we going to have some crowns? Um, Proverbs 29, 29, I read this morning, talks about those with uh, gray hair uh, ha on, crowned on their head having much wisdom to give, you know. Hopefully they have much wisdom to give, you know. There's something about maturity and age that go together most of the time, and so they have a crown of wisdom. 
uh, crown. So stand fast or stand with perseverance, persist. And we talked about persistence a lot last week, what that was. You can go back and listen to my definition of persistence. Philippians 1.27 is a cross-reference. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, or else I'm absent, and hear of your affairs, that you might stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together. In other words, stand together in unity. Persevere together in unity. When the battle gets hot, when you get tested uh, from outside people, from outside detractors from those that are Gentiles that don't understand, that aren't part of the faith, you need to stand together in faith. Therefore, you need unity to persevere together. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, My beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. Not only steadfast and unmovable, but always abounding, moving forward in the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, for the faith of the gospel, all right? Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Let's go on. Hebrews 3.14, the last cross-reference. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold, that is, if we persevere from the beginning, uh, and if we hold to the beginning of our confidence, steadfast to the end. And then he says, I employ, or I implore, I'm sorry, verse 2, I implore, Euodia and soon to K, soon to K, we call them odious and soon touchy. Remember, we talked about that in, when we talked about chapter two. I implore you. He's bringing them one last exhortation because they had, they had a conflict with each other to unity. I implore you uh, to be of the same mind. That is, be, be, be in harmony, be in unity in the Lord. And I urge you, also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. So they were workers in the gospel. They did do the work of the ministry. Yet they ran into a, uh, a little bit of a conflict with each other. With Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers who names, whose names are in the book of life. See, their names are in the book of life. Um, they kind of came up on a little problem there, but it's being taken care of. UOD means fragrance or prosperous journey. And soon to K means pleasant acquaintance. That's how, uh, the Greek meaning of their names. These are well-known women in the fellowship. I said they might have been soloists. Some scholars say that. Who even helped found the church. And so one last plea, one last cry to them. He urges them, urge. This is a strong expression used by Paul, meaning I exhort, I beg, I plead. Please be reconciled to each other is what Paul would say. Paul's plea is in love. He's not demanding like an authoritarian minister or apostle could have. He's not, you know, bringing in his apostolic authority and saying, you better do this or else. Instead, he approaches them with meekness and humility, shown in love for them to come to the same mind, to be in harmony. This issue was addressed once before. We talked about this in uh, chapter 1, toward the end, 27 to 30. Talks about standing fast in one spirit. Chapter 2, 1 to 4, he talked a lot about humility and placing others' needs before our own. Uh, and the personal examples were brought in there of Jesus, chapter 2, 5 to 8. And then also Timothy and Ephroditus, the, the ministers that ministered unto Paul, 
uh, in chapter 2, 19 and 30. Here's a good verse for this, a good cross-reference. Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, you consider yourself spiritual? Well, here's the test. Restore such a one. How? Not with an authoritarian, authoritative, you know, hammer, but in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, right? You know, this is something that can happen to any of us. We can fall out of harmony with a, a brother or sister in Christ if we're not careful, if we're not always seeking to put their them first before us, right? Verses 1 to 3, exhortation to unity, we continue on here. Um, verse 2, I implore Eudea or Eudaya and Syntyche to be of the same mind. I know I'm having a hard time pronouncing those. In verse 3, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women. We've read this before, but true companion. This literally means true yoke fellow. It's like a term used of a... Of a um, yoke that's placed around two oxen. It's a beautiful picture of marriage because a lot of times uh, they would refer to marriage as being like in the Old Testament, in the old customs, like two oxen pulling together. Oxen need to learn to pull together to be of the best benefit in, in the farming and in cultivating land, right? It's real comradeship. And when one is out of harmony with another and they're not working together, it makes for a big mess. Pull together. Literally, one who pulls together in a double harness. That's what this literally means. This word Paul uses shows him now expressing more of authority as an apostle, telling him you have to pull together. You have to come together in your effort and be in harmony, like an oxen uh, pulling a plow, like two oxen pulling a plow, plow, like giving an order to be carried out by a faithful soldier. In this case, not exactly, we're not exactly sure who it was, yet possibly Ephroditus, who was that true companion to come alongside these women. This person was to be an example for these women who did not yet know how to pull together. He was supposed to work with them, right? These women who labored with me. These two women worked together with Paul in the gospel before, yet now they'd kind of run into a roadblock with their issues with each other. And he's again reiterating, come together in harmony. Let Ephroditus or the other elders work together with you so you can learn to pull together. Philippians 2, 2. Fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. 1 Corinthians 1, 10. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in same judgment. 1 Corinthians 1.10. And then Psalm 133, one. this is beautiful. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Let's go to verse 4. Let's go to verse 4. Uh, we've seen this theme before. It's maybe the central theme of the whole book, an exhortation to rejoicing. Verse 4. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Here the theme of rejoicing is repeated again, uh, just like chapter 3, verse 1. This time in view of even going through discouragements and trials. Chario is, is the Greek word, to be exceedingly joyful and glad, to be happy, to thrive in your joy. It's used as a salutation. 
Literally, we could say, be rejoicing always, with double emphasis in the Greek. Be rejoicing always. He could say it. Be rejoicing always. Be rejoicing always, like saying it twice. Okay? That's, that's how we could say that. It's a repeated theme in this epistle. Chapter 1, verse 18. 2, verses 16 to 18. Verse 28 in chapter 2. And 3, 1 to 3. Rejoice in and through all circumstances. We talked a lot about them, about that principle, not for them. Not if your son or daughter dies of, uh, of an awful illness. We don't rejoice for that, but we need to learn how to rejoice in that. And there was a beautiful, beautiful, um, uh, beautiful, beautiful audio video done by Bill Johnson of Bethel, who just lost his wife, and he talked a lot about that. I suggest you go look for that audio. He, he preached that message three days after his wife passed, and he said, we'll never have another time. I love this, what he said. We'll never have another time, because uh, in heaven it won't be this way, to rejoice when things are not going well or when we're in a lot of pain. That won't happen in heaven. So rejoice now. Learn to rejoice in those tough situations. I know it's not easy. I just lost my mother at the end of May. So I know a little bit about that. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will be gladful, or I mean joyful in my God. Right? Uh, that's what we'll do. We're going to rejoice and be glad in God. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. We're going on here. Hebrews 3, or... I'm sorry, Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18. Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vine. Though the olive tree fails or the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Rejoice in the Lord always, I have circled again regardless of circumstance. I put down here, it's easy to rejoice when all is going well, but the real test is when things are not going so well in your life. James 1, 2 to 3, it's about rejoicing in trials. 1 Peter 4, 13, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. I don't think we've experienced that yet, but maybe we'll get an opportunity to rejoice in the sufferings of Christ someday so that you may be overjoyed when glory is revealed. Psalms, rejoicing mentioned 54 times. And uh, this will be in the show notes, these notes uh, that I have that I'm, I'm teaching from. You can always get the notes in the show notes. And you can find all these scriptures, or a lot of them here. Psalms, rejoicing is mentioned 54 times. Psalms is uh, the theme of Psalms, probably one of the, maybe the most uh, a major theme is rejoicing. Acts 16, 25 to 27 talks about, it's what we use as a verse to show the founding or the establishment of this church in Philippi. It's where uh, Peter and Paul were put in jail for preaching Christ. Um, they, were, they were teaching also at Lydia's house. And the jailer, you know, uh, God, miraculously, as they were praising God, though they were in chains, he broke them out of jail through an angel, and the jailer was afraid they were going to run out on him, but they didn't. And uh, so these people, Lydia and the jailer and a few others, started the Church of Philippi, and it was started, uh, believe it or not, in this time of trial where the apostles, Peter and, and 
James, or Peter and Paul, I should say, were rejoicing in the Lord, even though they were in prison. What would have happened if they hadn't rejoiced? Would we have the Church of Philippi? I don't know. You know, uh, how many opportunities do we miss if we're not rejoicing uh, in our life all the time? You know, that's a question for us to ask. Verse 5, exhortation to gentleness and moderation. Verse 5, let your gentleness, gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Moderation, uh, gentleness, or some translations use moderation or gentleness, means reasonable forbearance, mild, fair, equitable, sweet, uh, reasonableness, uh, reasonableness of kind and gentle disposition, showing consideration of others, never insisting on your own way. See Philippians 2, 1 to 5. We've talked about that. Philippians 2.15 is a cross-reference. Be that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, okay, in, a, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Titus 3.2, speak evil of no man, okay? Don't be brawlers, but be gentle, showing meekness unto all men. Philippians 2.3-4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, let's go to verse 6 and 7, another theme you're probably all familiar with from this great epistle, from this great letter. Let's read this, verses 6 and 7, and then we'll break it down. Exhortation to thanksgiving and peace. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is a very good translation of this verse from the Greek language that I, I've included here, the next uh, phrase I'm going to read for you. And here's what Kenneth Wiest said in his translation. Greek scholar. He was a Greek scholar. Stop perpetually, let me say that again, stop perpetually worrying about even one thing, but in all things, in everything by prayer, whose essence is that of worship and devotion, and by supplication, which is a cry for your personal needs, let your request with thanksgiving for things asked for be made in the personal and intimate presence of Abba who always sees all and is by your side or by our side in all things, then his security, harmony, safety, prosperity, peace, tranquility will surpass all power of comprehension, and he shall mount guard over your hearts and minds like a senator in Christ Jesus. Let's read that again. Stop perpetually worrying. In other words, don't worry over and over again. It's like the rocking chair on the porch over and over again, but you get nowhere when you do that. Stop perpetually worrying about even one thing. But in everything by prayer, whose essence is that of worship and devotion, and by supplication, which is a cry for your personal needs, let your requests with thanksgiving for all things asked for be made in the personal and intimate presence of Abba who always sees all and is by our side in all things, 
then his security, harmony, safety, prosperity, peace, tranquility will surpass all power of comprehension. So if we're in the presence of Abba and we're bringing all these needs, here's what we get. I'm going to read this again. Then his security, harmony, safety, prosperity, peace, that is tranquility, will surpass all power of our comprehension. And he shall mount himself as a guard over your hearts and minds like a sentinel in Christ Jesus. Weast word studies of the New Testament. Matthew 6, 25 to 34, a great cross-reference. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add one single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed as one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into a fire, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Uh, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run around doing all these things, and your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them. But what do we do? What's the answer? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Matthew 6, 25 uh, through 34. Let's see. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting or throwing upon your cares, things that cause anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. All right? All right, let's go on. Uh, another example I have that I just jotted down this morning. Luke 10, 38 to 41. Luke 10, 38 to 41. It's about Mary and Martha. Jesus was coming to their house for dinner, and um, Martha wanted to have everything just so, and she was screwing all about worrying and stewing about the arrangements and about the dinner that it would just be perfect. And Jesus came to her and said, Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things. Your sister Mary has chosen the one thing that is better. What did she choose? Instead of worrying about all the arrangements, she chose to wait on Jesus, right? And that's, that's where we are sometimes, worrying about all the things in the ministry, worrying about all the things in our lives. And we've missed that one thing, which we should be waiting before him, right? seeking him. And I, sometimes I worry that I don't have enough time for all, you know, the, and yet if you set time aside, it's almost miraculously, I found again and again, he's given me more time, given me the time I needed to get things done. I put down here on the side in, in writing, this is a sin we kind of ignore that really concerns all we do. You know, we get worried about things. We have a lack of faith. It's Sometimes it's so subtle. We're worried. We're anxious. Stop perpetually worrying. Isn't that a great translation? Exhortation to thanksgiving and peace. Stop perpetually worrying. Be anxious for nothing. Instead, 
you know, throw everything on him by prayer and supplication. Make your requests known to God. All right, we're moving on uh, to the center theme of the book now, verses 8 to 9. This kind of sums up uh, the whole the whole chapter and actually the book, you know. And this is so, you've heard this probably hundreds of times if you've been a Christian very long. Exhortation to peace and verse, virtue. Exhortation to peace and virtue. Verses 8 and 9. Let's read this. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate. And I put that in big black letters on my notes. Meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, that is in Paul, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. What a beautiful, beautiful scripture. Meditate on these things. Let's go through them. Meditate or think is what the King James Version says on these things. Logzomii, logzomii. I'm not, not sure I'm saying that like right. Logizomai, logizomai. Logizomai see, logizomai see is the way you say it. And it, it has to do with logos. It's a form of logos. It means it has to do with logical thinking. That is to account, to consider, to reckon, especially by calculation and imputation. In other words, real careful, deliberate thought and reasoning. That is to weigh, weigh out, meditate upon. I like to say marinate, marinate on that to impute, to deem or judge, to purpose, intentionally purpose, to decide or determine, to suppose. And I wrote down here, Christianity, as a Christian, our relationship with God was meant to be intentional and purposeful. We need to do a lot of meditating and thinking and purposing about that, don't we? Ecclesiastes 7.13 for the word meditate, which also means consider. Consider the work of God is what Solomon said. Consider. That word means to stop. Stop what you're doing and think about it. Take a pause. Psalm 1 verse uh, 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And I was teaching this the other week in Psalms. His delight. That's what he's longing for, leaning into or pursuing is in the law of the Lord, and in this law, he meditates. That is, he goes after it day and night, continually. He's meditating. He's That means to mutter over and over to oneself. Well, it's a picture of a cow bringing up its cud to chew over and over again. We need to actually chew on these things over and over again. And there's six qualities to meditate on here. We're going to go through them. Number one, whatever is true. This means true in a wide sense, not just, limited, not just limited to God's Word, but anything that shows truth, anything that's good, anything that's sincere, whatever is true. In other words, be true. Be a truthful person. Taste and see the Lord is good. Blesses is the man that trusts in Him. Psalm 34, 8. Um, Psalm 34, 10. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. So meditate, whatever is true, first of all. Whatever is noble or honest, uh, 
is the way that's translated. Actually, that which of grave or serious consequence or nature. In other words, it's a serious thing we're, we're um, meditating on. It, uh, uh, we could say this is a person of gravitas. Okay. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 to 6. And he's talking about the end of time. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. In other words, the first verse there, verse 2 and 3, I should say, of this passage is all about the people of the world. You know, they're running around. Uh, you know, and they're all all worried because of this. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, verse 4, that this should surprise you as a thief. You are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others, but let us be awake and sober. In other words, let us think about these things. Let us be honest with what's going on, right? The third thing, we talked about truth. We talked about honesty, whatever is honest. Now, whatever things are just, that which is right is what just means, without fault, that which has been approved. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 for a cross-reference. He made him to be no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness or the justice of God in him, right? Right? That's, what, that's what's happening there. Whatever things are pure is number four. That is something that's unadulterated, not mixed with anything else. Hebrews 7.26, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, or unadulterated, you could say, separated from sinners, and exalted from the heavens. And it's talking about Jesus Christ, the man, right there. Psalm 19.7-11, The law of the Lord is perfect. Refreshing the soul. A fear of the Lord is pure, it says in verse 9. It's unadulterated. You know, it's not has any of man's ideas or philosophies or imperfections in it. N number five, whatever things are lovely, that which is both acceptable and beautiful and pleasant to behold. Psalm 27, 4, David said, One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord, or the loveliness of the Lord, and to acquire in his temple. Psalm 34, 5. They that looked to him were radiant or beautiful with joy on their faces. So, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely. Now, number six, whatever things are good report. Basically speaking good words, speaking words of faith, thinking on good things, and, and, and having that in your mind. Look at Numbers 13.32. That was not a good report, but an evil report. That all, uh, uh, let me see, eight of the ten spies brought back an evil report. Only Caleb and Joshua said, we can go in and take the land. The others brought an evil report. It stayed with the nation of Israel for that 40-year period. And until they all died in the wilderness, except those guys, Joshua and Caleb, who gave the good report. They were the only ones that went into the promised land. 
Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Mm. Proverbs 15.30, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and a good report makes the bones fat. You know, isn't that a good one? Virtue, virtue, moral goodness and excellence. That's the next one. I love this verse, 2 Peter 2, 1 to 5. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 2, 1 to 5, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to glory and virtue. Wow. By which we have been given exceeding great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers ooh, of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Remember what I said in the beginning, that this chapter was all about Christ our strength. He provides the dynamic, that's what this verse is about, that fulfills the desire. The dynamic is his divine power. Wow, that fulfills our desire to do all these things in uh, verses 8 and 9 here. Um those things that are of praise, that which is to be commended. Let's finish with verse 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. Paul is the model. Paul is the example to them, right? These do. Research, received means actually the teaching instruction and instruction he gave as a teacher. Do. In other words, put these things into practice. Habitually. Make them part of your life. James 1, 18 to 27. Uh, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent in the world and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his mirror or at his face, I'm sorry, in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently upon the perfect law, as the word of God, the things of God, with Abba, that gives freedom, this will give freedom, and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. It's a good cross-reference. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Philippians 3.17, 1 Thessalonians 6.1 for cross-references. Let's review these mandates. Truth, honesty, justice, purity, loveliness, good reports, or reports of faith, something that is praiseworthy. These are all things to meditate on. And let's add to that what we've also talked about in this chapter. Perseverance, that is standing fast in our faith. Harmony and unity, standing fast in that. Always rejoicing, no matter what the situation. Rejoice in it. Rejoice through it. Being gentle with each other and stopping all worry. You know, stop perpetually worrying. This is this is the lesson today. You know, think on these things. Amen? So that's the lesson in chapter 4, uh, 1 to 9, 4, 8 mandates. 
Until next week, be blessed. Thank you for joining us for another great discussion on The Kingdom Corner, hosted by Matt Geib. Remember to click the subscribe button so you can be notified of each new episode as it's released. To enjoy an even deeper dive into God's Word, check out Matt's new devotional book, Searching for Significance, a devotional journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Learn more and even hear from Matt himself on the devotional website, significanceacademy.com. As always, thank you for being a part of The Kingdom Corner.